0: You're listening to Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. Here's your host, Ed Yanka, Director of Communications and Public Policy. Welcome to this live recording of Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. (laughs) This is the 10th episode of our podcast, and as you could hear, we are celebrating by recording tonight in front of a live audience at the brand new and really quite beautiful, Hoxton Hotel in downtown Chicago. We're returning today to a topic that we've covered before immigration policy. When we last talked about immigration policy on this podcast, the ACLU National Immigration Project was in court fighting to reunite children and their parents separated at our southern border. Today, sadly, many of those children remain separated with no real plan from the Trump administration to reunify them, and so the ACLU is still fighting. But since that time, we've seen the emergence of other issues, the declaration of a national emergency to fund a so-called border wall, efforts to fundamentally change the asylum process and to push asylum seekers away from our borders. We've also seen efforts to change the rules for entering the country and even suggestions that the southern border should be closed. And again, on these and other issues, the ACLU and other organizations continue to resist both in court, in Congress, uh, and in the public. Today we wanna talk about all of these issues with really one of the great national experts on immigration. Uh, We're joined tonight, I'm happy to say, by my friend, Mary Meg McCarthy, from the National Immigration Justice Center. Mary Meg has been the executive director of the NIJC, which is one of the nation's foremost immigrant and human rights advocacy organizations. And under Mary Meg's leadership, NIJC is a leading organization advancing justice for immigrants all across the country. They provide counsel to approximately 10,000 immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers each year. Mary Meg, welcome to Talking Liberties.
1: Thank you. It's nice to be here, thank you.
0: So let me start with the easy question. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about NIJC and the work that you all do?
1: Great. Well, thanks, Ed, and um, thanks for that nice introduction. We, uh, the National Immigrant Justice Center, represents immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers. And as Ed mentioned, it's approximately 10,000 people that we provide legal counsel to. And these could be individuals who are detained. It could be unaccompanied immigrant children. It could be victims of domestic violence, human trafficking, Or it could be families who are trying to get their green card or become U.S. citizens. We also work with about 1,600 pro bono attorneys who really help us provide those legal services. But what's really unique about NIJC, I think, is that we are service-based but change-focused. So based on what we're seeing on the ground, whether it's in a detention center or someone in immigration court, we then identify how to most strategically change the system, whether it's through impact litigation often with the ACLU, or issuing a report that would expose the human rights violations that we're seeing, or administrative or legislative advocacy. And we're trying to be really strategic in how we move forward, um, given the external environment that we find ourselves in, and also the needs of our clients, um, because we're very conscious of this is a human being who is going to be facing a horrendous barrier to accessing the legal protections to which they're entitled, or they may be in danger and they don't want to be public about what's happening to them. Um, we have about 100 staff people, attorneys, paralegals, and professionals, and um, we're, we're you know very blessed to have a good bench strength to respond to this current environment.
0: Yeah. So let me start with with something. You and I were together recently. Uh, I think the, the the last time we were together before today. Um, was it a briefing that our own Senator Dick Durbin did for a number of advocacy organizations across the Chicago area about immigration issues after he went to the southern border? Um, and I want to say kind of picking up off of that based on, you know, what you heard Oh, from the senator, but I know what you hear from your folks all the time. How would you describe what's happening at our southern border right now?
1: Unfortunately, what we have on our southern border is complete chaos and mismanagement. Um, There's not really an effort to respond to the humanitarian reality facing individuals who are fleeing persecution. Many from Central American countries, triangle countries, Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador, um, where they're truly refugees. And we are not welcoming them, as we have historically in most cases. Um, Rather, they're being criminalized. Um, we are seeing the criminalization of migration on our border and making it so very difficult that we're essentially trying to close the border. And you've heard about the wall, of course, but um, the wall is not yet being built. Um, There are walls already that exist, but those people who cross the border now or who come through a port of entry are facing horrendous obstacles uh, to securing protection. And Terrible human rights abuses. And I thought, you know, Senator Durbin captured it so well when he talked about seeing the aleras, yeah. the ice boxes, where, you know, families, mothers, pregnant mothers, fathers are in these rooms that are freezing cold. I- alera means an ice box. And their capacity, I think he said, for one room was 75. S- and there were 150 people people in that right. room. Like, and
0: anybody who ever had to share a room with a sibling knows that's crowded.
1: Right, exactly. So um, it, it's it's tragic what's happening on the border. And it's, it's interesting, though, there's so many people who are becoming aware of what's happening and giving witness to the, the horrendous human rights abuses that are occurring. And people aren't able to present their asylum claim in a fair and... Um, uh, in a manner that ensures that they're able to have due process,
0: you know, that that actually the the last thing you said kind of raises an issue for me um, because we talk often about the people who are coming in. And I think it's one of the distinctions which seems to be lost a little bit. would Would you talk about the asylum process for just a moment? And I'm going to set you up with the easy question. Is it lawful to seek asylum in the United States? It is absolutely lawful to seek
1: asylum. It's a legal right. It's recognized under international law as well as domestic law. The 1980 Refugee Act recognized that individuals have a right to seek asylum. and. They don't have to come in in a particular way. They can come in through O'Hare Airport, they can come in through Canada, they can come in through Mexico, they could come in through a port of entry, or they could just cross the Rio Grande and say, I'm here seeking asylum. So the asylum process um, under our laws is is a legal process. So individuals present their case in front of an immigration judge unless they're applying affirmatively, and that's another route that people can apply affirmatively in front of an immigration officer, and that's not an adversarial situation. But if you're at the border, let's use that as an example, and you stop the border patrol officer and say, I'm here, I'm, seeking, I'm asking for asylum, I can't go back to my home country, my life is in danger, my child's life is in danger. When that person comes in, that officer then will put them in detention, And um, at that point, they will then be set up for what's called a credible fear interview, which is that initial screening to determine whether they do have a credible fear, and it's a very low standard. Historically, I think we've seen 90% of the people, 90% or more of the people pass that screening process. Now, in the past two years, we've seen that dive down much lower. I think. So they're
0: actually discouraging and turning away people who are presenting claims that in the past would have been viewed as having a credible exactly. fear. Exactly.
1: And these credible fear interviews are being done by officers. They're not judges. They're not lawyers necessarily. So that's really concerning. So And people can appeal a negative credible fear finding, but oftentimes they don't even know they have that right to it appeal. And they could be immediately sent back. But if you pass the credible fear, historically then, if you come in, let's say you cross the Rio Grande, when you come in, you pass your credible fear interview, then you're eligible for a bond. And you could be released from detention. If you aren't given a bond, you could spend months, maybe even years in immigration detention, which is prison, essentially. Recently the Attorney General Barr issued a decision, matter of MS, in which he said, no, no longer are people who enter outside the port of entry eligible to apply for bond. So those individuals who cross the Rio Grande, in 90 days, he gave it 90 days to become effective because obviously they do not have sufficient detention centers for all these individuals who may no longer be eligible for bond. So people are being arbitrarily detained without any right for a review of that detention.
0: So that's a real break with policy in the past. Absolutely. And is the sense that you get that the notion is just to make conditions as unbearable as possible to try to deter people from coming in?
1: Absolutely, I think that's exactly what we're trying to do is close those borders so that no one will come in the country. Essentially, that decision makes the Department of Homeland Security, the executive branch of our government, the judge, the jury, and the jailer. And that is not what the Refugee Act provides. That is not what international law says. Detention is to be used as the last resort. You do not have to detain asylum seekers. In fact, You shouldn't be detaining asylum seekers. And under prior administrations, we'd see people what they call bonded out or paroled out, where they would be released on their own recognizance. We're not seeing that.
0: With this influx that we are seeing, you know, from that, and especially I think from the Triangle region, like what's the typical. Story What's the typical reason that somebody is making that track? And co- I mean, leaving your home, leaving the only place you've ever known is not easy. So, what drives someone to do that?
1: It, it's to save their lives. I mean, we have seen cases and we see many more families crossing. Historically, it would be, I would say, single men. And now we're seeing families, mothers, pregnant mothers, with their toddlers, with their children. Um, even older. And, and that's where we saw the family, family separation, separate, right? It right? Right. was heartbreaking. And in fact, I just heard today of a family, the mother's down in Texas in the jail, and I'm not sure where the child is, but she's separated from her seven-year-old child. They fled El Salvador. They fled gangs in El Salvador. She's a target, and she's afraid for her life and her seven-year-old child's life. We're seeing situations, the number of LGBT cases right now. Ever since we've seen the change in government in Honduras, LGBTs are a target right now, and their lives are in danger. There is no protection for
0: those individuals. The government, the government is not doing anything from keeping those individuals from being targeted in Honduras. Exactly. So you make the decision, ultimately, you have no choice but to flee your homeland to find safety somewhere else.
1: Exactly. I mean, people wouldn't make that very dangerous journey if, if they weren't saving their lives. And, and mothers wouldn't take their little ones unless... This was their only way of keeping their families alive. And that's what we're seeing.
0: So one of the things that we're hearing is, I'm going to reveal a bias. We hear this false premise, right? That it's either open borders or these harsh policies. And so I wonder, I think one of the things that people often ask is, so what is a better way to handle this? There is an influx, right? There is an increase. There are these things that are happening in these home countries that are causing you know, people to flee in greater numbers. So what, what could we be doing that would be smarter and more effective than, than this kind of enforcement?
1: Well, one, I think the, the um, policies that are being proclaimed or announced are creating more of that chaos on the border. Like, I've heard people say, oh my gosh, they're going to build a wall, and I I, I can't survive here safely, I'm going to get over there really quick.
0: Before they build the wall. Before
1: they build the wall. So
0: the wall itself actually drives people people. to to cross the border.
1: Exactly. Or, I only have 90 days before I won't get Bond, I'm going to get over there quick. Right. So the administration's policies are just creating this chaos in the border and and many of the numbers that we're seeing. Um, Yes, people are coming, but it used to be like a slow, steady stream of people. And now we're just seeing the numbers of people. You know, in El Paso, many of you may have heard, um, the Annunciation House is providing shelter for hundreds of people a day. Um, and that's good that there is shelters available, and and that's what we should have at the border. We should have reception centers for individuals who are seeking protection. That's That's a refugee. That's a person who is fleeing a traumatized situation. We shouldn't have children and parents locked up in these hileras, not getting access to medical care and being abused. We've heard about the two children who died in these Customs and Border Protection jails. We have alternatives, and those alternatives are meaningful. Even here in Chicago, the Interfaith Community for Detained Immigrants, they provide housing for people who we could get released. In fact, a couple of the um, clients that we worked with at ACLU, the mothers reunited with their children, They had no place to go once we got them released. And so there are alternatives, community-based programs. And we know people are always saying, what can we do to help? And there are so many ways that the American public wants to help and respond to the crisis that we're seeing. And then the flip side is in terms of policies. We shouldn't be cutting off aid to these countries that are so desperately in need of Building their rule of law, building their economies. The gangs are terrible. I was in Salvador in I think was mid eighties, and you didn't see the gangs. Yes, we were just the end of the Civil Wars. Right. But you didn't see the gangs. And now you can't walk out in the streets without fearing for your life in those countries.
0: So one of the things about this is I I fear sometimes that we look at what's happening at the border and that's where we think about problems with immigration policy. I want to talk about what's happening right here in Illinois and in Chicago and the ACLU of Illinois recently joined a lawsuit uh, that NIJC originally brought um, about enforcement here in the interior. And I wonder if you could just sort of share for a moment like what that lawsuit is about and what you're seeing happen right here.
1: Yes, um, this the lawsuit's called um, Castanon Nova versus the Department of Homeland Security. And we filed it about a year ago, I think it was like mid end of May. And we're thrilled to have the ACLU join us um, because what we were seeing is, and you may have heard about this in the news, there were about, I think it was about 60 individuals were all of a sudden picked up throughout the area, Chicagoland area. And we found out that they were being picked up walking out of a grocery store down in, you know, the Mexican neighborhood, Pilsner Little Village. Someone was in the uh, street changing his battery, and he gets picked up. And there were all these, like, strange one-off pickups of individuals. And when we were, you know, going out and doing Know Your Rights in the jails, we saw all these people, and we realized that there was this... Raid, but one on one. It wasn't like going into one office or business, but these individuals. And it was all these pretextual stops. And it was really racial profiling. Right. And so we identified the plaintiffs and we ended up then filing this class action lawsuit challenging racial profiling and pretextual stops.
0: We should explain what's a pretextual stop?
1: It's a stop without any grounds, without probable cause. There like was in my, no my reason. car,
0: if I'm just walking along, if I'm bad, uh, if if just based on my appearance, that's where I'm stopped.
1: Exactly. And, of course, it was the appearance of the color of that individual's skin. Right. So, um, so you know, clearly our argument, or I shouldn't say clearly, but our argument in this lawsuit is, you know, the Department of Homeland Security, these ICE officers, have gone beyond the Constitution, the Fourth Amendment, and the power that the Congress has given to them. So we'll see what happens. It's still, you know, just in pleading stage.
0: And that's happening right here in Chicago, in quote unquote a sanctuary city.
1: Exactly. exactly. So
0: there isn't there isn't a thing here in Chicago where there isn't ICE enforcement, no matter right, despite whatever these policies are, despite what we hear on television or read on Twitter.
1: Correct. In fact. It's interesting because our lawsuit was, is really the first one of the country, right. but we saw this happening in the sanctuary cities. Like, sanctuary cities like Chicago and L.A. and New York were, became targets by this administration to do these types of racial profiling and interior enforcement actions that have been really harmful and damaging to
0: individuals and just, their families. I, I, I just have to ask as a follow-up. Do you believe it was a deliberate policy on the part of the administration to target certain municipalities?
1: Well, given what we've seen, yeah. that's the, the conclusion I would draw. Do, okay. do I know for certain? I haven't seen. We haven't done a FOIA on that yet. I mean, there may be a FOIA out there that says, hey, this is going to be our policy. But um, it just seems that that's been what we've seen as a, a practice.
0: Right. So... What else is happening on immigration and immigration issues in general in Illinois? When we draw the lens out a little bit from just Chicago in terms of the state, what's what's happening, and especially, I suppose, legislatively right now as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting time, and I think um, we realized that with this administration, we we weren't going to pass pro-immigration legislation. We weren't going to get a lot of... um, partnership, collaboration with the administration, but that we needed to look at at another way of strategy of protecting immigrants and refugees. So um, with ACLU, we have about four bills pending right now in the General Assembly in Springfield. The first one is to prohibit um, collaboration with private prisons for immigration detention, um, which luckily, I'm happy to say, passed the House and is now in the Senate. Um, The second bill um, prohibits...
0: uh And and we should say on that, on the private prison bill, that there is actually a private prison which has been proposed for Dwight, Illinois. And this is like the third or fourth location in Illinois that they've tried to build more immigration detention beds in the last... Seven years, eight years? Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: it's it's been, you know, they really want to build a big mega jail with a private prison here in Illinois. And I think you're right what you were saying. We're seeing that in Indiana and Wisconsin and Michigan. And we've been able to fend those off just by community organizing and the community saying, no, we don't want a jail here. And, And Gary, Indiana, it's like... They tried to convince the mayor of Gary, hey, this is the way you're going to get jobs. And we were like, this isn't the kind of jobs you want in your community. Um, And unfortunately, we were not successful in Dwight in our organizing tactics, so that's why we're now at the General Assembly. Um, And hopefully that will pass, and that will stop this Dwight private
0: prison being built. You were going to talk about other bills. I'm sorry. Oh,
1: no, that's okay. And the other bill, um, well, there's three other bills. The other one prohibits the deputization of local law enforcement to enforce immigration laws. It's called the 287G. And it's our understanding that in McHenry County, there may be an effort to deputize their local law enforcement. So hopefully with the passage of this bill, that would prohibit such action.
0: And you're worried about that in part because of both the the signal it sends to the community that that they could be targeted, they might not interact with the police to report crimes as much. But the other thing is, is, is... Immigration law is a pretty complex area. Can a local law enforcement official really enforce immigration law?
1: Right. No, I think you're absolutely right. That is, I mean, someone may have a green card, but not a U.S. citizen, but they're still here legally. Or someone may be a refugee or an asylee or a student visa. So it is very complicated. And you as a local police officer have not had that training to be able to understand it. And then I think, you know, Another piece to all this that's really important—that becomes racial profiling. I mean, I think that I would argue, if I was a county, would set you up for a number of lawsuits too. So I don't see it as being in the county's um, advantage to be doing this. And um, I think it's very—it's very complicated, and they could create a lot of lawsuits. So those are the two bills that we have out there that are working their way through the General Assembly um, that try to prohibit certain actions by by the government, the Department of Homeland Security. The other two are more positive, which, you know, we're always trying to think of how do you do something affirmatively, and um, the first one is the RISE Act, which provides for um, individuals, um, undocumented immigrants, minorities, people of color, who are ineligible for federal funds to be eligible to apply for state funds for higher education. And that's a really exciting bill, and that also has passed the House and is now in the Senate. And then the last bill, um, which also passed the House, is a a bill that provides for greater protection for immigrant children who've been abused, abandoned, or neglected. And um, that bill hopefully will also um, soon pass the Senate, but provides for the protection for these young people that is required in the state, um, court before they go to, to immigration court.
0: And let me just ask a question, kind of pull back out and ask a general question. Uh, we were talking before we started recording. You and I have known each other a long time. Yes. We started this when we were very young people. Um, <laughs> and uh, why can't we get this right? Why can't we figure out a way to create a system that's more fair and more just and, and has more process in it for people who are desperately in need uh, of, of protection because these decisions are life and death as you're you're pointing out why can't we get this right
1: you know unfortunately um I think it's a lack of Of will on our politician side. I mean, it. It. You know, we've had so many opportunities to pass good laws, and and we just haven't been able to get it across the border. I mean, they've been bipartisan. Like right before nine eleven, President Bush had a great piece of legislation, Um, and you know, we've we've gotten to a point that it's just so negative, this whole idea of immigration and trying to pass some type of legislation that ensures protection for asylum seekers and also recognizes the human rights of the 11 million undocumented people who are our neighbors, who go to school, their children go to school with our children. We work together, we, we're we in the same neighborhood, we're in the same communities, in the same faith-based organizations. Um, And we just have ignored this problem. In fact, what we've done now, which I think is so much worse, is we've criminalized human beings. And we haven't recognized, not only on a humanitarian level, but on an economic level, these people are really important to the success and the health of this country. And these people are people that we want to be here. And we need to change that narrative. And I hope all of you will be part of that. And it's really important not to shy away, but to say, these are our brothers and sisters. These are our neighbors. And these are the people that we want to welcome to our country and give them the full panoply of human
0: rights. It's amazing how the time flies by. Um, It may explain why the years have flown (laughs) by in that way. Um, So Mary Meg, I I really want to thank you for coming and doing this this evening um, and sharing all of these thoughts and for appearing on this 10th episode in this this live edition. Um, I also want to thank all of you who've come and joined us this evening, uh, as well as our listeners uh, here at the Hoxton Hotel. Um, I want to thank the Hoxton Hotel and Rob Jensen for hosting the event and for off-brand in partnering with us to put this together. Talking Liberties is produced by Max Bever. Executive producer is Chris Olson. Location production services tonight were provided by Kai Harding Productions and location recording was provided by Second City Sound with engineers Jerry Formicola and Tim Reisig. And this episode was mixed by Philip Von During. A special thanks to the ACLU of Illinois' Executive Director, Colleen Connell. You can listen to us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud and Google Play. Make sure to subscribe and please rate us because that really does help uh, and leave comments because we really do want to hear from you and and think about the issues you want to talk about. For more information on today's topics, please visit our website at aclu-il.org. Or you can email us directly at TalkingLiberties at ACLU-IL.org. Thank you so much for joining us tonight for this special 10th episode live taping. And we will see you next time on Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois.